Welcome to The Blind Side. News and information from a blindness perspective. Here's Jonathan Mosen. Welcome to episode 94. And I tell you what, sometimes non-24 is a good thing. This is the sleep-wake disorder that a lot of us who don't have light perception live with. And you may remember we spoke some time ago with Stephen Lockley, a professor at Harvard who has devoted a lot of his professional life to looking at the sleep patterns of blind people. And I made the point that sometimes when you do the kind of work that I do, non-24 can be quite good because you can get up in the middle of the night and get a lot done and you're working with clients on the other side of the world. Well, I was very grateful for the jolly old non-24 in the last couple of weeks because I have been riveted, glued, I tell you, glued to the ACB and then the NFB national conventions that have been taking place in Missouri and Florida, respectively. And the next two episodes of The Blind Side are looking at those conventions, as well as listener comments, of course. So in this episode of the podcast, we'll be talking with Katie Frederick, who was a member of the board of directors of the American Council of the Blind, but also an attendee of ACB conventions for, well, since 2004, so 14 years now. So we'll talk to Katie this week. And next week, we will have a look at the NFB convention. We'll be talking with Dan Fry, who will be summarizing some of the events that took place at the NFB convention, getting the mood of the convention. And maybe we'll talk with Dan about a few other matters as well. So if you have any thoughts on either convention, if you attended either of them, if you listened to one or both of them, then by all means, get in touch. Let me give you that contact information right away. 719-270-5114 is the number in the United States for the feedback line. That is 719-270-5114. Leave us a message there. Try and make it, you know, reasonably concise. Otherwise, I have to edit it to make sure that everybody gets a fair shake. You can also drop me an email. You can write the email down or you can attach an audio clip if you prefer. And the email address is theblindside at mosen.org. That's theblindside at M-O-S-E-N. We got a lot of contributions over the last week, so I'll just go through a selection of them. Here is Trenton Matthews, and he says, Greetings from Denver, Colorado. The Thunder screen reader can still be downloaded from www.webbie.org slash thunder. Do be warned, however, that Windows 10 support has not been tested, and the last version made available for download is version 3.1.4. Appreciate the info, Trenton. Thanks very much. Christopher Sims has been in touch, and he raises a question that really has arisen from something we covered on The Daily Fiber. If you're not familiar with The Daily Fiber, we did talk about this a while ago on The Blind Side. It is the premium podcast from Mosin Consulting that's published every weekday, and it gives you about 15 to 20 minutes, sometimes a little longer, of the latest in technology news. Like this podcast, it is indexed by chapter, so it's really easy to skip past the stories that you're not interested in, and it costs just $5 a month. That works out at about a quarter per episode. I'm really grateful for all of the people who have subscribed. We're getting a number of agencies now subscribing to the Daily Fiber Premium as well, because if you have a whole bunch of people working in technology who need to keep up, It's a pretty easy way to just give the agency people the podcast. And when they're out on the road, perhaps traveling, they can keep up with what's going on. One of the things that we did cover on the daily podcast was information indicating, and it came originally from a Bloomberg report, that the next generation after the next one, so so two more generations after the current generation of AirPods, 
it looks like Apple may be introducing noise cancelling to those AirPods. Now, it's not clear at this point whether the old AirPods will disappear or whether Apple will have two variants of AirPods available, one with noise cancellation and one without. But of course, Christopher's concern is that with noise cancellation, the AirPods may not be viable, will almost certainly not be viable for a common use case that many blind people are putting them to, and that is to wear them when they're out and about because they tend not to block out background noise. So you still get some good sound with the AirPods in, but you can still get information about your environment, which of course, when you're a blind traveler, is really important. I know a lot of IRA users, for example, who love using AirPods with IRA because they can hear the IRA agent while they're cruising around. And Christopher Sims says that he has written to Apple with his concerns about the noise-canceling AirPods. And hopefully, if this does happen, because clearly there is a market for noise-canceling AirPods that Apple needs to take into account, hopefully they will always keep a non-noise-canceling option available for those who require that. And he's encouraging everybody else to write to Apple who has a concern about this, accessibility at apple.com to let them know that there is a concern about where the AirPods might be heading. Of course, Apple was going to tell you that they don't comment on products not yet announced, and that's fair enough. Few companies do, but you never know. It may just get into the product mix somewhere and encourage them to keep non-noise-canceling AirPods on the market in some form. So thanks for that, Christopher. Hey, Jonathan. This is John Wesley Smith from Hallsville, Missouri, and I was listening to show number 93. As far as the uh, man who had the encounter with the uh, policeman in the bathroom, the policeman should have known the guy was blind if the guy was carrying a cane or had a dog. Apparently, according to the story, he must not have been. So I blame this one on the blind guy. Aaron Linson has similar thoughts. He has a couple of questions. He says, one, where is the blind man's cane? And two, why push someone out of the way? There is a more professional way of getting around Regarding the treatment of John, or whatever the blind guy's name was, the officer had the right to pull the man to the ground due to himself being pushed in an aggressive fashion. Nobody, especially police officers, should be treated in this manner. Well, I guess the police officer didn't know that he was dealing with a blind guy, and the blind guy didn't know he was dealing with a police officer. (laughs) Thanks very much for that, Aaron. Hello, Jonathan. This is Michael. I have a comment about Mark Zubini in Maricopa County. Uh, I mean, Arizona, excuse me. See, he should bring a cane with him uh, wherever wherever he goes. And I used to travel frequently, not anymore. And every time I'm using a restroom, either in McDonald's or in rest stop, I usually tap my cane very loudly and knock every time I'm in a restroom. And I don't use the stand-up urinal. I use a stall that's provided in the bathroom. So I knock and tap my cane so people know that I have some sort of eye problem. And I use a white cane. And people can see my white cane every time they're out of the stall and either help me with the direction on where the stall is located or... They just take me there. This is not okay for the police officer to punch him 
not fun to push him very aggressively away, away from him. I have another comment about the IRA service. See, it would be better that for IRA to have different options instead of sending the phone number to them and they will send me a verification code. It's better for them to have another option when a user is register, registering for the IRA service. Instead of phone number, they could have email because most of the people, most people don't prefer to put their phone number. So they prefer emails. So it's better to have two options. I think I need to contact Ira and ask them to, to do this. And another uh, comment about Ira is that I got Ira installed and the service was fabulous. I don't have a glasses, just you know, but I do use the Ira service by phone. Every time I use Ira, I just fire up my iPhone and then contact the agent. And the agent is very responsive. Uh, no matter how, like, I have to wait for a long time for a volunteer to respond using Be My Eyes, which is another service. For Ira, I can just call and within a few moments later, the agent get back to me immediately and ask, what do I need help for? And they're very good at describing things. Thank you, Michael. Well, we've got lots of comments on this story that I read last week. Let me just read one more because I think what we've got now is pretty representative of all of the comments that came in on this. Here's Holger, and he says, my question is, did the blind person call? Is there anyone here? I always do this. You need to be careful for safety, he says. Jonathan, very, very good morning, evening, the time you're listening to this message. This is Gerardo Corripio from Mexico. I've been a listener to your Blindside podcast several years. And I would like to comment on the topic of using smartphones versus blindness products for reading books, especially from the perspective of those of us who live outside the United States Canada, the UK, and other more developed blindness countries, if we can understand what we're trying to say. What happens here in Mexico, for example, if my Victor Reader's dream were to need repair? I would need to follow the procedure of finding who would be going to the US so one, they can ship the Victor's dream, thus I would have to pay the person to ship it. Two, when the Victor Little stream is diagnosed, how would I pay for the repair? I would need to contact Humanware to see if they could charge to the credit card the repair. Okay, that is done. Now, to get the Little stream back, you would need to find an address to ship it to and then wait for the person to come back here to Mexico or the country of origin to bring back your device. 
Thus, likely a month, a month and a half, or however time it takes the person to come back. Whereas, if you have an Apple device, a mainstream device, and something happens, you can take it to an Apple store or an authorized store. Remember, there is only one Apple store in the country in Mexico City. So, you get it repaired in what, in maybe a day or a week maximum. Thus, that is one of the advantage of using a smartphone or mainstream device for books. Another advantage of using such a device would be the cost. A blindness device like the Victor Reader Stream is expensive compared to a smartphone or the same price. For example, the iPhone SE costs about $300. The same cost that a Victor Reader Stream costs. So you need to sacrifice what you want for the cost. Thus, an all-in-one device like an iPhone would warrant more the $300 or the 6,500 pesos than buying a blindness product. Those, that's, uh, depending on how one takes it, can be an advantage or a disadvantage. And lastly, this might be kind of a disadvantage the battery but you can use a battery pack or an external battery or leave the phone plugged in for reading as well as and this would be an advantage if you get a call you can pause the book and use the phone for the call and however a disadvantage this would be a disadvantage you need to silence the phone to get the most experience reading how I mute the phone via the mute switch above the volume control and turn off the voiceover speech with three taps with two fingers on the screen yes that is very good I have done it and yes I like the fact that you can create vibration patterns on the phone for messages and phone calls but what about whatsapp whatsapp is the one of the main messaging platforms and what happens if you are silence the phone and reading and you get an important whatsapp message because there is no vibration pattern assigned to whatsapp through your contacts you might miss the message in case of an emergency or whatever happens so that is what kind of holds me back from using the iPhone as my main reading device. A very thorough and objective summary. Thank you so much for that. And good to hear from you in sunny Mexico. I presume it is sunny right now. If you have any comments, let me remind you of that information again. 719-270-5114 is the phone number of the feedback line. That is 719-270-5114. You can also Drop me an email with an audio attachment or write something down, theblindside at mosin.org. We don't read everything we get, otherwise we'd be here all day, but we try and provide a representative selection. It's time to hear from this week's featured guest on The Blind Side. 
The national conventions of both US consumer organizations, ACB and NFB, have been held over the last 10 days or so, and we'll take them in the order that they occurred. So ACB was first. And joining me on the blind side this week is Katie Frederick, who has been going to ACB conventions for quite a long time now, is also on the board of uh, ACB, but very much speaking in a personal capacity. Welcome to you, Katie. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to be here, and thanks for inviting me to come onto your podcast. When was your first ACB convention? So my very first ACB convention was in Birmingham, Alabama in 2004, I believe. I attended as a scholarship recipient from my Ohio affiliate, where I wrote an essay stating that I wanted to attend the conference, and then they selected me. I attended the conference, and following my experience there, I went back to my state convention in the fall and reported about my experience. So it was kind of a way to introduce people from Ohio to to ACB nationally. And so so Birmingham was, was my first ACB national convention experience, and really my first experience being around a large number of people who are blind or visually impaired. It was really a a special week. Yes, that was the first time I met you. So that was your first ACB convention. That's interesting. What was it about being around all those blind people that had an impact on you? So growing up, I grew up in a small town in Ohio, and I went to public school for all my education. So I really had not been exposed to many people who were blind or visually impaired. I knew a couple of adults who were blind or visually impaired. Um, and some older older students who lived in my area and a couple of younger students, but really didn't know many people who were who were working at the time or who were, you know, just kind of living their lives at the time and going to school or doing whatever. So when I went to Birmingham, I had the opportunity to meet, you know, students who were going through college like me and people who had guide dogs and people who were working and had careers and got to check out some really cool for the time technology. Um, so it was just really a neat, a neat experience for me to go go do that and, and uh, meet and network with people and, and learn about, you know, what it um, kind of get a real exposure in, in the in the blind movement, so to speak. You must be a pretty political person not to have been completely put off then because that 2004 convention was an extremely turbulent <laughs> convention. I remember it well. You know, we were just, we were just talking about this the other day at the, the current ACB convention, a couple of friends and I were kind of reminiscing and, and, you know, I, I do like politics just as an aside. I'm a, I'm a political junkie, as, as Ken Rudin likes to say on his, on his political junkie podcast. But I, I do love politics. Um, but, but you're, you're correct. The, the 2004 convention was a very interesting time. And it was certainly a unique time for the organization. But, but no, it, it did not, it did not send me running away. And um, that's, you know, I, I just kind of listened and, and watched. and. Um, have you know really followed ACB consistently ever since that time. Now, when you fly, sometimes you get this little message at the end of your trip that says something like, we appreciate you have a choice of airlines <laughs> and you have a choice of consumer organizations. What is it that made you choose ACB? Is it a happenstance? Is it like kind of some people are just born into a religion and they stick with it and that ACB found you first? Or did you make a conscious choice that ACB suited you better for some particular set of reasons? So I think for me personally, I will say that I think both organizations um, do good work and they, you know, they both do great things and they, they both um, really, really work to help blind or visually impaired people. 
I think for me, though, um, what drew me to ACB was, in my mind, it's more of a democratic um, organization, and it's very collaborative. And so those those two things really, really kind of piqued my interest. And um, also, you know, I, I did attend attend an ACB convention. Like I said, when I went to Birmingham, I I met met some friends there and they've they've been friends. You know, we've maintained that friendship throughout the past you know, 15 years or so. So that's also been, you know, really a, a special connection um, for me as well. But but when it comes down to it, I personally identify more with with the ACB philosophy of things. So let's talk about this convention then. And that was held in Missouri. And that's a good place to have a bunch of blind people because Missouri loves company, right? <laughs> so um, let's let's talk about that. What are some of the outstanding issues for you that came through at ACB? What are what are attendees talking about? What concerns them? What was motivating them to to get up and speak? So you know, this year we we had um, some elections to to the board, and that you know we actually. Um, the Board of Publications, who is responsible for for kind of the ACB candidacy portion of the of the process, prior to the convention, they held what has been known as a traditional candidates forum, where we had questions written out ahead of time and you know kind of a more formal approach to our candidacy. But at the conference this year, um, the Board of Publications tried what they called a town hall meeting, and that was where anyone could come in and ask questions of the candidates. And I have to say, it really brought back some good memories of, um, because when I went to previous candidates, events at, at conventions past, they'd been pretty well attended, except for the past couple of years when attendance had kind of dropped off. But this year with the new town hall format, um, the room was pretty full. There were a lot of people participating in ACB, on ACB radio, and, and there was a lot of engagement this year with the with the membership and between the membership and the candidates. And I just, I was really pleased to see that as, as a candidate. And I think that was really good um, to see that people were interested in the, the organization and in, you know, hearing what we as candidates had to say about the future of ACB. And to me, that's exciting as someone who's, who's looking toward the future of ACB, frankly. And um, I was just really pleased to see that level of, of engagement within the, the democratic process that we have for our elections. Anecdotally, though, it does seem like fewer people are attending ACB conventions now. Is that a fair assessment? Um, I think this year it's not fair to say that. I will say that St. Louis was one of our largest attended conventions um, in the past several years. We had, I think, almost a thousand people at pre-registration. So um, it was very well attended. Um, we had to have you know, some overflow hotels and things this year that we haven't had to do for a while. So I think um, the Midwest seems to really work well for us in terms of, you know, geography and just getting a lot of people to our conferences. So um, I think it, I think it was a well-attended um, convention. And I think that the, the people who attended were, were very engaged and very participatory in the, uh, not just the general session, but the workshops, workshops and activities as well. But inevitably when, these conventions come up, both organizations are going to be compared with each other. And it, it does seem that um, a lot more people attend NFB conventions than ACB conventions. And does that reflect the fact that ACB is perhaps the smaller organization? So I think, you know, we might be a little bit smaller. I honestly don't know NFB numbers and I don't know much about their convention or their attendance. So I, I can't say for sure. I do think that, you know, um, 
it's expensive to come to a conference and I understand that. I mean, it, it does cost a lot of money. So I'm, I'm grateful that ACB is able to, you know, stream sessions and, you know, have those opportunities for people that can't make the conference to be able to participate and join in the conference and hear, you know, some of the sessions as well. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd love for more people to be able to come. And I think, I think that we as an organization need to look at that in the future and look at, you know, how we're holding conferences and maybe could we use technology a bit more um, as we move, as we move forward. But right now we do have some ways that people are able to participate even if they can't come. I know there's been some talk for quite some time about looking at the way that voting takes place for senior positions, national positions, for example, whether there might be a way to conduct that by postal ballot so the entire conve- the, the entire membership can have its say, um, as mm-hmm. opposed to just those who can manage to afford to get to a convention, or even electronic voting of some kind for resolutions and other things like that, so that those who are valid members can participate remotely. Has there been any progress with those sorts of ambitious goals? So I I can say that there was a test done on the remote voting system a few months ago. And um, there was a session that I was not able to attend um, at this conference about the remote voting task force. There is a group of, of people who are working on that issue. And um, I know that there have been some articles um, written about it, for example, in the, in the ACB Braille Forum and things. So I know that it's a topic that's, that is being addressed and looked at within the, the organization. I think there's still some, some kinks to be worked out and some work to be done, but I do think that something will happen in the next you know, few years um, with that process. I can't speak to it, but um, I'm not a part of that group, but I, I know that it is being considered. And that's incredibly exciting, isn't it? Because some people tune into these streams and they have their own little mini convention using a Twitter hashtag, for example, and they're debating away and they're arguing the points. And in the end, it doesn't actually matter a jot because what actually matters is who votes at the convention, whether a resolution Mm -hmm. becomes the policy of the organization. If there were a way to engage with that audience so that their opinion really did count for something, it could be quite a revolution in democracy for the organized blind movement. Absolutely. And I think that's, um, you know, something that, that ACB is, is, you know, taking into account as we move forward. And again, looking at, you know, technology, but also making sure that it's accessible to as many people as possible, because, you know, even in, in 2018 and, and beyond, you know, people, there are some of our membership who, don't have access to the internet or don't have the ability to have a smartphone. So, you know, just making sure that we can, you know, whatever, whatever methods we use, making sure that we can accommodate the different access needs that we have as, as an organization. One of the big highlights of any convention is when the president stands up and talks about some of the highlights of the past year. What are some of the things that you're most proud of in terms of what President Kim Chowson was able to to highlight with the achievements of ACB over the last year? Sure. Well, one the the first that immediately comes to mind is our um, ACB is as I as I mentioned earlier, we're very collaborative and we formed a lot of partnerships. And one of those is with um, Cisco, the makers of of telephones and things. And their um, I believe it's their eighty eight hundred series phones are now um, their their regular hardware that with the software push to them is now are now accessible to people who are blind or visually impaired. So people who work in in call centers or customer service centers are able to have full access um, to all the features on their desk telephone. So 
that is um, you know pretty exciting, and it's it's been you know a long time coming. These these phones are often used um, in places, and it's it's just unfortunate that you know people have not been able to have access to them, but um, now they do, and so it's that's a very good partnership that um, ACB is is sort of to have that relationship with Cisco to to enable that accessibility. Um, that's one of the things that immediately jumped out at me when you when you asked that question it was was that great partnership and and um bringing access to that to those phones for for people that need it yeah my understanding is that they are sip soft phones and if that's the case if i'm right about that then it could also be helpful for people even in a home situation who have gone to voice over ip you know a lot of cable companies and mm -hmm. um entities like that are, are taking away the old copper phone network and so if you can have yeah. a fully accessible voip phone right. that actually talks that is a very significant development it is and i i do think i mean i know they're they're advertised as, as desk phones so i um i you know i don't want to say specifically if they can work for the home or not but i i do know that they you know they they do work on the voip um system so um i would think that it might be possible that they could be used for home too i just know mm -hmm. that they're often bought you know for business use anything else that that was highlighted at, uh, at at ACB that you want to cover. Um, you know, we had some good some good resolutions. Um, as as always, we had one about the you know important to students is the this common common college application, which is kind of new to me. Um, you know, back back in my day, we didn't have to fill out a common application for college. Um, but I guess you know now in the states here, instead of applying to each school individually, some schools share this this common application and it has some accessibility challenges and, and, um, you know, ACB is going to you know work through those. Um, also, you know, issues surrounding, um, you know, transportation and service animals and, you know, air transportation, especially, and just, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a rough year for those of us who, um, as I do travel with, with guide dogs and, um, it's, it's been a wild ride and uh, we just have to keep on, Keep on advocating and, and making sure that you know our rights as service animal users are are protected. So um, those are you know certainly some things that we've you know been working on and will continue to work on as we move forward throughout the year. What's the general sense of the convention in terms of emotional support animals? Is there a view that the animals that that are called emotional support animals has just gone way too far and that the, the term is being abused or or do people tend to think the airlines are overreacting? Um, I think that, you know, people think that, you know, they understand, especially, you know, the need for, you know, people are okay with, with people having an emotional support animal, but, you know, when they, when they try to bring their emotional support peacock or their emotional support chicken or, snake or you know then then it's kind of gets a little bit overboard i think so i think people are you know wanting it to be more consistent in terms of saying you know is it a you know emotional you know how does it help you and just just making sure that people aren't taking advantage of the situation and just saying that they need an emotional support animal if, if they really don't so um you know because those of us who have legitimately trained service dogs um you know our dogs have ID tags from our school and, and, you know, we have an identification card and things like that. And, and, um, for some of the emotional sport animals, it's, it's kind of easy to go out there online and get a certificate that says your, your animal is, 
you know, there's a certified emotional support animal. And so it just makes it makes it hard for the rest of us who have legitimately trained animals. Yeah. So presumably you would be keen to secure the recognition of the work of, say, the International Guide Dog Federation, which does go around and, um, if I might use the term vet, <laughs> um, vet the guide dog schools to make sure yes. that they're in compliance with certain standards and things right. like that. So mm-hmm. that, that yeah. obviously that would, if you have a dog from an accredited school of that kind, then there should be no mm-hmm. further questions asked, right? Exactly. It's too bad that, that we've had to, um, you know, we've worked so hard to get things like the the ADA passed and the Air Carrier Access Act and things, and they're really great pieces of of legislation. And and now we have to keep keep uh, you know going back and and working working to keep the the rights that we have. And as a it just it frustrates me personally. Um, but um, I think we just have to keep keep on advocating, as they say. I know that there'll be some people who are very intimately aware of um, the the differences between the two consumer organizations, but there'll be we have a lot of listeners from all around the world, and some will not be. So I wonder if we could talk about the way that um, voting in ACB works, and there are a couple of things. I guess the first is that any resolution that goes through the resolutions committee must come to the floor. I mean, I think sometimes there might be corrections of errors of fact, which may result in a resolution voluntarily being withdrawn by the submitter. But if the submitter is insistent, then a resolution always goes to the floor. So that's a, that's a different thing. And then the other thing that's also different is the way that um, votes are counted by strength in terms of the states and that affiliates get a vote in roll call vote. So there are a number of quite significant differences there. Yes. So, so for ACB, for example, um, for the voting process for um, either you know constitutional men- amendments or resolutions or elections, um, we have individual votes. So we we vote via secret ballot, or um, then, then yes, we also have the roll call vote, and and that works by um, each each year we have an annual membership certification process, and so depending on how many members each state or special interest affiliate has determines how many votes they get on the floor. So for example, my affiliate, Ohio, um, we have approximately 200 and some members. um, And so we receive eight votes because it's one vote for every 25 members that you have. Um, And then the most votes you can have on the floor are um, 25 votes. So California, Florida, Missouri, um, they are large states that have those those 25 vote Capacities, but but again, it's it's kind of making sure that that each state and special interest affiliate has some representation on the floor when it comes to voting. A roll call vote can take quite a while in ACB, but there are, I guess, a number of ways one can have one say as an individual, as a member of your state, and then as a member of any number of affiliates you might be uh, affiliated with. Right. Yes, it's um, it's a very interesting process, and, and this year. Um, we did, you know, part, um, honestly, part of the problem is with the roll call literally can be finding the microphones in the, in the session hall because it is a very large um, ballroom. And so um, for, you know, this year, roll call did go a little bit faster because the, um, the secretary, uh, Ray Campbell, kind of got affiliates to learn, you know, to kind of queue up so that, that people, um, you know, could, could get up and kind of get moving to microphones a little bit faster. And it did seem to speed things up a little bit, I thought. Um, 
but but roll call, you know, it, it does take time, but it, it's also, I think, again, a very, a very important part in our in our democratic process. And another big difference is that ACB has term limits. And this will result in President Kim Charlesom, who is the first consumer leader of an organization of the blind to be elected to the, to, to the national presidency, not to be eligible for re-election next year. So clearly, is, is there a little bit of internal debate starting now that this convention is finished about who might succeed Kim and what will happen next year with a clearly open election that will certainly result in a new president? Um, I don't think there's debate right now. I, I honestly think the people are just kind of, uh, you know, recovering and, and getting back into the the swing of things. I'm sure that there will be more to come though, as as 2019 draws draws closer um, in terms of um, elections and, and officer positions. Because next year we'll not only be electing a new president, but we'll also be electing a whole new slate of of officers as well. So we'll have the, the presidency, the a person, second vice president, the secretary, and the treasurer for re-election. So. You're really capable people with the time, the skills, the inclination to step up to these offices. They're pretty thin on the ground. Does the organization shoot itself in the foot, do you think, by having these term limits? I don't think so. I think it's it's healthy for the organization. I mean, you you could serve in the in the role for six years, essentially. So I, you know, and, and as a board member, board member for eight years, that you can serve. Um, the officer terms are are three two year terms, and the board of directors terms are two four year terms. And I think, I think it's it's healthy to bring in um, new people after after an amount of time. I think, I think that we as an organization have some work to do when it comes to um, looking at you know leadership roles and leadership positions in terms of you know we have some opportunities we had um you know jp morgan chase has been a, a sponsor of our conference for the past several years and we have a, a jp morgan chase leadership fellowship program that brings in some leaders from around the country and i think we need to really take a look at those those leaders and look at you know how can we fit them into our organization moving forward you know what what committees can we get them involved in and, and how can we get them into into leadership roles in their state and at the national level as well. But I mean, looking at your own situation as an example, you are, without being patronized, I mean, you're on the younger side of the spectrum, um, certainly yeah. by ACB, but by any consumer leadership standards. I mean, there's a chance that with all that you have to give, all that you have to offer, ACB might have burnt you out through its term limit system by the time you're 40. And then you'll have no way to contribute at a kind of a, a elective position to the organization. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I have, so I'm just starting my second term as a board member. Um, you know, following that, I could move up possibly into an officer position or um, I think, I think there are always ways that, that, I, you know, personally can can give to the organization, and it, it may be at some point that I'm not in, you know, what would be considered a, a key leadership role. But I think, I think there is always a place within the organization for someone who's willing to, um, you know, to take part in its work and in its in its activities. So, so I'm not worried. I think I think I'll always find a place for me in ACB. What was the banquet like this year? 
the banquet was great. We had um, a couple of couple of musicians join us this year at the banquet. So we had a, um, a fiddler and a um, guitar player, and they were they were really good. Um, they were just it was you know something different. We didn't have a speaker this year. Um, we had the musicians and the music, and it was it was really a great way to end a, a great conference in, in St. Louis. So um, I thought it was it was something you know unique and different that we hadn't had in a banquet and and I really enjoyed it. And can we talk a bit about technology because you did have a number of technology presentations at ACB Ira is um, popular with a lot of people you had a number of other yes. presenters as well so the technology stuff's we always did. very popular. Yes, we had you know Ira um, Amazon was there Microsoft um, Cisco GM General Motors was there as well as you know of course VFO, humanware, um, you know, the more traditional. Mm. The GM one was really fascinating. I, I thought that the, the whole topic of driverless cars was just um, very, very interesting and his his take on that. Um, are you lining up for a driverless car? Will you be in a driverless car when they become available? Oh, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm still skeptical, I have yeah. to say. I, uh, I am amazed I by how many blind people are reluctant to – to, I, I'm going to be out there. Well, I'm going to be, think, I'm gonna be rocking mine off the lot. I think because I've drove a regular car, and that was quite an experience. So um, I think <laughs> I think that's where my skepticism comes in. But I, I think no, I, I think you know, and ACB is is really working to make sure that you know we we're at the table and that we are working to to make sure that that version 1.0 of these autonomous vehicles are accessible, not version two or 2.5 or three. That it, that it is, you know, something accessible right out of the out of the gate, so to speak. And so, um, I'm I'm very intrigued. I'm more open to it now than I was when I first heard about the technology because I think that technology is, you know, gosh, I mean, look at it in the last ten years. So it's certainly evolving and changing. And I think I think it's it's getting to the point where it needs to be. My issue with autonomous vehicles is just the whole societal societal acceptance, right? Because I think until you know, I think until everyone kind of has one, you'll have the issues of the those who do and those who don't in terms of, you know, actual road navigation and how will you handle that and how will all of that work together. And I think we have a lot of issues to, to look at um, in terms of not just the accessibility of the cars, but also um, you know, the accessibility of our roadways and our whole infrastructure as a, as a country before we can really um, roll about and say, let's, let's go. Um, I, I am excited and I'm, I look forward to seeing to seeing where they'll go for sure. And I, I do think that in my lifetime, it'll be something that I can um, be able to use. And, and that, that is exciting. I think, I think kind of like with, um, you know, I was kind of this way with, with Uber and Lyft and, and things, you know, it's kind of one of those things you don't know how much you would appreciate it until you don't, you know, until you have access to it. So um, I think it would certainly give a whole nother level of, of independence interesting times ahead well i appreciate you coming on the podcast and having a chat with us about acb overall it sounds like the the mood of the convention was a very positive one i think so um i know you know for me it was it was a busy convention but a, a fun convention and i really liked um meeting you know new people connecting with with friends and um really again having the opportunity to, to be elected to my second term on the board of directors it's truly it's truly an experience that I, I love participating in and I'm honored to serve on the board again and work, work with the ACB um, leadership and, and staff to help 
UBCB um, moving forward into the into the future. That's Katie Frederick. And of course, as I said, next week we will be taking a look at the NFB convention. If you have any comments on either of them, do feel free to get in touch. We will include some of them next week. Thanks for listening to The Blind Side, a production of Mosin Consulting. On the web at mosin.org.